OHL Hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Pope Podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. The Ontario Hockey League trade deadline may have passed. Thank God. (laughs) But you will fill your ears with more information about that deadline than you thought possible. On this episode of the Farwell and Pope Pod, we've got general managers, we've got former coaches and assistant general managers. I think we've pretty much got it all. And of course, our own analysis. I've got a beef with the trade deadline that we'll get to in just a little bit, but lots to cover today. And a guy who's seen almost 30 trade deadlines. That's a lot of trade deadlines. That's a lot of trade deadlines. He's also going to come on to the podcast. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That is Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. And I am the Pope part of that podcast at underscore Chris Pope. And full disclosure, I screwed Pope entirely today by pushing our usual recording time back by about three hours. And so I'm trying to spin it as best I can. The good news is the two busiest teams leading up to and then passing the Ontario Hockey League trade deadline met earlier on the very night because it's getting late in the evening now of this recording of the Farwell and Pope podcast. And so we can dissect what happened in St. Catharines. My, oh my, oh my, oh my. I will say this much right now. It makes me feel even better about my choice of teams to win it all. But before we get to that, what do you think of the 6-5 OT final in favor of the fully loaded Guelph Storm over the equally loaded Niagara Ice Dogs? Well, I think it's... Uh, <laughs> <sighs> I'm kidding. Am I keeping you up? That game, that game would have kept you awake. I'm kidding. Uh, I don't mind the late start. I'm, on, I'm a night owl. I'm up till 2 in the morning every night anyway. Um, I think that that's just... A, it's perfect. I really do believe it is perfect. Two of the teams, and maybe the two teams that went in the hardest, play the night of the trade deadline. It's perfect. The OHL couldn't have drew it up any better. Shout out to the schedule makers. I got to give them credit. Yeah, because we pick on them a lot. Because I pick on them a lot. When they gave us back-to-back-to-back three-and-threes, I called them out. So here I am saying, great job. Niagara, Guelph, the night of the trade deadline. And both the Ice Dogs and the Storm push their chips in leading up to the deadline. I think it is exactly the type of game that Guelph Storm are expecting to win. High scoring? That's fine. We may not have 100% trust in Anthony Popovich, but we have built perhaps the best top six this league has seen, at least in recent memory, for sure. And we're going to give him the best opportunity to succeed and on top of the best top six in the league bar none we've also have a lethal offense so they're okay with winning games the score they did tonight I think Niagara probably thinks they should have won firing over 40 shots on Anthony Popovich I hope I don't know if we will but I would love to see a seven game series between these two oh my goodness could you imagine that as your OHL final yes (laughs) <laughs> that kind of excites yeah. you a little bit? Yes, I could. No, like I, I actually could. With all due respect to London, Saginaw, Ottawa, Mid- Oshawa, and well, that's about it, really. 
Let's call a spade a spade. But oh, on Sudbury because you never know what their goaltending. Well, he might just steal four. It's still a bit of a wild card but, there. No, I'm I'm with you, but I. I I really could see that being the OHL final. And if that is the type of game that we're going to see in a best of seven come the OHL final, what else more could you ask for? I was tweeting with a Storm fan earlier today, and of course he was over the moon excited, and rightly so. Let me say this up front before we get into the dissection of everything. If you think, and this might be the older Farwell, 10 years ago Farwell may have felt a little bit differently, but... The current edition of me says, if you are an Ontario Hockey League team, because we all know anybody that's followed this league for more than a minute knows about the cycle. It comes and it goes. And if you think this is your turn in the cycle, then just go for it. Just just go for it. Whatever it takes, when you think it's your turn, then make sure you do your utmost to win when you think it's your turn. You may miss fire, or you may misjudge when it is your turn, so you misfire on what you do, or you misjudge when it was actually not your turn, when you thought it was, whatever. You think it is, you go. So spend all the draft picks, trade all the players, I don't care, because championships don't come around every day. But in this back and forth I had with the Storm fan, the question I said is, I mean, I can understand the excitement, but you didn't do anything to address your goaltending. And I don't mean to disrespect Anthony Popovich, but... You didn't. Meantime, the Ice Dogs, in a deal as the deadline approached, picked up Jake McGrath from the Sudbury Wolves. I think they did that just so they could match Guelph pick for pick. Each team, Popper, each team spent 19 draft picks this deadline. If you take those 38 combined, add in Saginaw's 11. It's a lot. 49 picks between three teams and eight players in total. Anyway, whatever. Again, you think you got your shot, go for it. And I've been giving a lot of thought to my predictions from about a month ago. I was pretty firmly set on London in the West and Ottawa in the East. And boy, oh boy, has Guelph especially and Niagara to a lesser degree, given what they've gone out and done, given me some pause in those predictions. Have they given you pause or reconsideration? Reconsideration absolutely in the West. I am still going to, especially after tonight's game. Look, you and I were talking just before we cracked the microphones and started recording. But 6-5 games, I mean, lots of fun. And guess what? I think both of these teams, Niagara and Guelph, will win games like that down the stretch through the regular season and even into the playoffs. But if you are lucky enough to get down to the final four, you're playing a conference championship. I'm going to tell you something right now. Six, five games are going to be few and far between. A, you start running out of gas just a little bit. And B, as we all know, I'm not telling tales out of school here, the competition gets that much better. So I still say in the Eastern Conference for certain, on the day of reckoning, I'm staying with Michael DiPietro, who is a difference maker, a game breaker with a championship pedigree already. And let's not forget, the Ottawa 67s made a couple of moves I really liked as the deadline came up. Lucas Chioto and Kyle Maximovich added to a team that already has Ty Felliber, Austin Keating, Marco Rossi. Let's just go down. Uh, Sasha Shemilevsky. Let's just keep going through that roster. I like that team a lot. And DiPietro is the 
the wild card that makes them the Eastern Conference favorite to me. I don't know how I can still say with a straight face that London is the Western Conference favorite. Quite frankly, if Guelph doesn't win after what George Burnett just went out and did, it's a pretty big letdown in the Royal City. But I'm a loyal guy. I will stick with the girls I brought to the dance. And hey, London's going to London. And they may not be the best team on paper, but Dale Hunter has a funny way of making things happen, doesn't he? The London Knights have a funny way of being the London Knights. So I will stick with Ottawa in the East feeling confident, London in the West because it's London. But boy, oh boy, does Guelph make me reconsider. 4-3, and 5-4. Those were the finals of last year's OHL final. Between Hamilton and, and Sault Ste. Marie. Marie. Those were the scores. 4-3-4-2-6-5-3-2-6-4-5-4. There you go. Pretty high scoring. Three of them for were. The, for the, for the yeah. most part. Yeah. I mean, that's two teams that goaltending probably wasn't their strongest suit. Yeah, something about Matthew Volalta in the playoffs, eh? Hayden Fulcher was good. Yeah. Matthew Volalta was good. Let's lump in the two previous te- or the teams that lost out in the in the conference final, where you look at the Kitchener Rangers. They had Mario Kalina, who with who played unbelievable down the stretch for the Rangers. If not for him, it is a total other story. But a guy they picked up from U Sports. They were eliminated. The Kingston Frontenacs eliminated in the East final. They had Jeremy Helvig. He was a top-tier goaltender. It's very interesting in this league when we talk about, and I'll be the first one to say how important goaltending is in this league. But is it? I don't know. I think you can win multiple ways in this league. And I think the two teams that we just talked about that played tonight, Niagara has built, we're going to outscore you. And that's okay. <laughs> Our offense is ridiculous. We're going to hope that we can stop you from time to time, but you better not take penalties because we're going to bury you. I think that goaltending remains a top priority, a real key piece. You have really helped to convince me in that regard by looking back at the goals against averages of the last 10 mm-hmm. Memorial Cup championship goaltenders. I think what we're seeing, Chris, is a result of this residual effect, and we've talked about it, where there might be a handful of teams in the OHL right now that we would say are really happy with their goaltending. So what you end up with as we finally start opening the world back up and import goalies can be drafted again to the OHL, this is the way teams have to win because their goaltender might be good, might be okay, might be all right. You know, take pick your adjective to describe the goaltending, but because they're just... They're average. Average, you got to go out... And you got to have firepower, the likes of Niagara and Guelph and, to a lesser degree, London. We haven't even mentioned Saginaw yet. You and I got a viewing of Saginaw the day Ryan McLeod and Owen Tippett showed up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they can whip the puck around, can't they? And then Ivan Prospetov has been outstanding in the games since. Not so much the game we were there, but he's made a he's had a couple of big games since. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be so quick to dismiss the Saginaw spirit in the Western Conference either. They're going to make some noise. They, they're going to make a lot of noise, I think. They're a team built through forwards, all four lines, 
through their D, their fourth line is a big bruising line that is going to destroy a lot of other teams' fourth lines come playoff. And it's often those lines that make the difference. We saw it last year with the Run DMQ line. Morellis, McHugh, Damiani. They were a difference maker in the playoffs because they shut down other top lines. You can have all the best forwards in the world. You can have your Suzuki, Radcliffe, and Twistle line. But if they don't score, then what? Yeah, and Ryan McLeod's 200-foot game, again, it was Fantastic. one viewing, but no, it really it's impressed It's always me. been good, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and to a lesser extent, Owen Tippett. He can play that 200-foot game. His, everyone talks about his shot. How about his speed? His skating is so not talked about, and I don't know why, because he is lightning quick when he wants to be. And the talk of Owen Tippett last year was that he felt he should have been playing pro and he didn't belong in the OHL. Well, now to be sent back again, now you got a chip on your shoulder, kid. Now you're actually going for it again in Saginaw, and you got a chance to make some noise and you know let Florida know that they made a mistake sending you back. This is one of the things I like about Guelph's position because I think you're right with Tippett, the chip on the shoulder, but moreover, you take guys like Dursey, Phillips. Yeah, Entwistle has his contract, but guys that are playing for contracts right now, you want to talk about guys that are hungry, guys that want to go deep, guys that want their team's scouts seeing them play big, meaningful games and put in big performances in those meaningful games because it might turn into a payday worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in their lives. That's motivation, baby. I know we didn't talk about this, and I know we're running long from where we wanted to go off the top here, but I just want to say Dale degraded a fantastic job as the Owen Sound general manager. As a seller. They dealt five players. They got four back and 11 draft picks. Keep in mind, those 11 draft picks are all within the next five years. till twenty Next four years, till 2023. That's astonishing. Because as the gap closes as to what GMs can trade, because the limit out of from this current year, the, the amount or the... the the longevity away that GMs can trade their draft picks, those draft picks become more important. He's got 11. In saying that, the players that have went through Owen Sound in the last three years, it is almost a travesty they did not win an Ontario Hockey League championship. And we are going to have the opportunity on the next episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast for all of you fans up in the smallest Ontario Hockey League market. We're going to relive in a very cool way the 2011 OHL championship for the Owen Sound Attack. That's what we call a tease. Last year in the Ontario Hockey League, the Kitchener Rangers, the team we cover on a day-to-day basis, they made a push. This year, not so much. So let's find out from their general manager, Mike McKenzie, in an in-depth conversation that you had with Mike today, what goes in to a trade deadline and what a day like today was like in Mike McKenzie's office. Mike, I thought I'd start with how this day itself, the trade deadline day itself goes. I, I think sometimes we might get caught up in this impression that you're sitting there at your desk on deadline day, a cell phone on one ear, a desk line on another ear, your toes are typing emails. I mean, how does it all work and how busy is the day itself leading up to noon hour? Uh, yes and no. You're not you're not that far off, to be honest with you. I do basically just sit at my desk and uh, have everything ready. Um, and basically, either uh, 
use the phone or wait for it to ring or use the computer. Um, so uh, it is busy. Uh, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of calls. Um, you know, you are kind of just waiting to see what happens a little bit. But I think the, I think, and, and we saw it this year a little bit more. I think there was probably more um, in the four, five, six, even week leading up to uh, the deadline. And I think that might have had something to do with maybe the World Juniors ending for certain countries a little earlier than expected, and, and players becoming available uh, before you know, the January 5th or 6th, which, which you know, Team Canada players at World Juniors usually are available at a later date because they've gone further into the tournament. So that might have had something to do with it. But, uh, you know, the actual day itself is uh, usually a little more quiet, uh, but the two or three days leading up to are, are usually when a lot of the, the work and, and talk is going on more so. You were obviously in a different position this year than you were last. Last year was a year you decided to load up and go for it. As this trade deadline approached, even going back to before Christmas, was how were you looking at your team and was there an area that you would have liked to shore up or do something in if you could do it at the right price? Not specifically, no. I, I think our goal was to continue to add good young players to a roster that can help us in the future. And by future, I mean looking ahead to as early as next year and the seasons after next year. Um, what we wanted to do is make sure that we were putting ourselves in a spot next year to have a good hockey team and making sure that we weren't um, being short-sighted in the fact that you know this year hasn't gone exactly the way we had hoped and uh, our goal is to make playoffs and that still remains the focus here but um, you know our goal was to make sure that we put ourselves in a position um, in the summer and at the start of next year where we weren't sitting um, with a, a huge influx of players that could be overagers and having to make decisions on on where they they fit in with us or where they were going to fit in with someone else. Uh, we, we, we've done a lot of research in the past couple of weeks leading up to this, this time, um, looking at values and how they differentiated from uh, the, the, the present time, trade deadline time, uh, going into the summer, how they differentiated in the summer, and then even more so into the next year when, when you're bringing back uh, an influx of overage players and you're kind of backed into a corner. So, so we looked up at all those numbers and, and took all those into account and we came up with a bit of a strategy and uh, knew exactly kind of what we were looking for with certain, certain um, players or, or deals in mind. And we decided that if there was something that made sense that where the value we felt was going to be more or significantly more than what we would get in the summer based on our research research or what we would get in the fall based on our research when everyone's drafted new players in the regular draft and drafted new players in the import draft and signed new players and there's no injuries in the summer so um that's what we did and and that was kind of how we went about our business I, i think we wanted to be really really careful that we didn't throw guys away because we we are in a unique situation um where we're we're selling you know, everyone wants to label it as a selling year but but these are also players that are are eligible to come back to us as overage players and i think if you look around the league this year with the teams that were loading up 
we see how important having good overage players is for teams and everyone wants good overage players and going into next year we have a a group of really good solid i would even call them elite overage group of players um, that are coming back for us and so that becomes really good insight into what everybody could identify because we all can look at the rosters and the birth years and recognize that on a, in a league where you can only carry three overage players, you're going to have more than those more of those than you need coming into next year, or more of those than you can carry through the season. So when you do that research, Mike, how much of a factor is what you will get from the player for the remainder of this season versus? how much less, if it is less, that you might get in a summer deal versus a deal today? It's definitely part of the, it's part of the, the job to look at that for sure. Um, I mean, there is a certain value to having a player for the rest of the season, even though it's a, a short amount of time. Like I said earlier, our goal is to, to make playoffs and you know, uh, continue to try to win hockey games for the next two or three months. That being said, um, it is my job to make sure we're managing, you know, everything properly and that we don't back ourselves into a corner and allow ourselves a situation to get taken advantage of, um, whether that's in the summer or uh, next fall when the season starts. So you got to weigh those and weigh the values. And, you know, a guy like Nick McHugh, we would have loved to keep Nick McHugh. I love Nick as a player. I love him as a person. He's, he's a huge part of our team this year. Um, but the reality of the situation is that, you know, whether it was Nick or, or someone else, that the, you know, one or two of these players are not going to be able to play for us next year. And and that's the way the league works when you're, you're dealing with uh, junior ages and aging out. And it's similar for the National Hockey League when you're looking at salary cap restrictions. And I, I think, you know, a team like the Chicago Blackhawks, after they won their cup there, I think they would have been perfectly fine with keeping three or three or four of those big pieces that helped them win, like Dustin Bufflin and, and these other guys that they ended up having to throw overboard for salary cap restrictions. And it's the same that goes for our league. It's just age restrictions. So would we have loved to keep Nick? Absolutely. I would have loved to keep him on our team for this year to finish up and help us win. And we would have loved to keep him for next year as well but the reality of the situation and, and league overage rules are pretty clear that you can't play more than three a game so at the end of the day you got to make hard decisions and, and that was the decision we made on that one would you describe yourself as comfortable with the decisions you've made and how you have positioned yourself looking into next year yeah i think so yeah um like i said we want to make sure that we're we're um, bringing back players that are going to help us win next year. And if you look at the guys that we decided to, to keep and will likely be OAs, and I say likely because you, you never know, there's always an option for them to get signed in pro or, or, or wherever that may be. But, um, you know, we've got four guys coming back. One of them is our starting goalie. Um, one of them is going to be a 70-plus point player in Greg Morales. Um, another one's going to be an over-a-point-a-game player playing defense and forward throughout the year in Joe Garifa. And the other guy is going to be possibly a 40-goal scorer this year for us So, in Jonathan Yancis. So when you break that all down, you know, you know, why would we give away those players if Jonathan Yancis, we think he can get 40 goals for us next year because 40 goal scorers don't just grow on trees in this league. And why would we trade Greg Morales for 
for for not much or a couple picks if we think Greg Morales is going to be one of the best overagers in the league next year. And, uh, you know, a guy like Ty Fellhaber that can have a real breakout overage season next year and put up 80 or 90 points. And why would we trade Joe Grief when he's one of the most versatile players in the league and he's going to come back and, and probably be a 70, 80, 90 point guy even next year and, and a guy that helps us win every night. And the same goes for Lucas starting goalie. Obviously, we can't have all four, um, you know, next year, but these guys are all really good players. And the same goes for Nick, too. But again, it's, you know, we're not just going to give these guys away. They're all very good players and they're going to help our team for the rest of the year. And they're also going to help us next year when they're overage players. Given how busy your deadline day is, Mike, and the phones are ringing and the emails are going and what we have gone into some detail here in describing the overage situation, we all know how many you can carry. Did you feel at all as though other teams may have been lowballing you or trying to uh, get your assets for less than they might be worth knowing that you're facing that situation next year? A little bit. I think everyone wants to try to get the best deal for their team. So whether you, you think it's a lowball offer or not, I mean, it depends, I guess, on the, where you're where you're sitting, where you're looking from. So uh, the bottom line is, I think, you know, whether you call it lowball or offers that weren't, you know, we weren't uh, real keen on taking is, is that there just wasn't any offers that made sense for us. And we're going to outweigh the impact that those players are going to have coming back for the rest of this year and also next year. And it's going to put us into a spot next year at this same time next year where we can reevaluate where we're at as a team and as a group and we can reevaluate our players a year from now. And then we can uh, go about this whole process again next year at this time. And maybe it's uh, a different story, but right now we don't, we don't want to be too short sighted here and, and, and get caught getting back to the corner because, you know, if the offers weren't where we wanted them at this time of the year, you know, further to the point I was making earlier, research shows that the offers aren't going to be any better in the summer and they're not going to be any better in the fall either. So we felt the need to, to maybe move one, but uh, not all of them, that's for sure. We've talked a lot about the cycle that is a part of junior hockey. Nobody gets to win every year. But what is your philosophy, Mike, around an Ontario Hockey League franchise in terms of what you expect from it on an annual basis? Are you happy with, you know, what you had last year in terms of a run that went to double overtime game seven of the Western Conference final and then enduring a couple of down years? Or where would you like to see your team on a regular basis? Well, I think everyone wants to win every year. And, and last year is, you know, it was a great run. It was a it was a very fun experience to go through. And, um, you know, would we have liked to win that game in overtime? Absolutely. Would we have liked to play it in the finals and try to punch our ticket to Memorial Cup? Absolutely. But um, it's such a small, small, fine line between winning and losing in our league and the sport and I know people don't like to hear this and it's uh, it's not talked about very often and people cringe when, when someone brings it up, but there's a lot of luck involved in our sport and balances and things like that. So I think you got to look, step back sometimes and say, you know, 
did we put ourselves in the best position to win in a year like last year? And I think we did. And, you know, a bounce here and there may have changed the result, but I think we we did a really good job and, and had a great year. So unfortunate result at the end, but um, could have gone either way. Um, and then in terms of this year, I mean, there are there are times when you're going to have a bit of a down year, and I think everyone can agree we would we would like to have more wins this year, and we'd like to be higher in the standings. But um, I guess my philosophy is to try to be as, as good as we possibly can every year. Um, but there is going to be years where you have to reaccumulate assets. I think it was really clear this year. Um, if you look around at the trades that were made for the, the high end players and world junior caliber players um, and first round NHL pick guys, second round NHL pick guys that are getting moved that when your team is ready to go for it, you better have a lot of draft picks in your cupboard to be able to spend um, or else you are not going to get players in a year where you're going for it. And I think last year is an example for us too where we had stockpiled enough picks that we were able to go get a Cole Sherwood and we were able to go get a Logan Brown and we were able to go get a Giovanni Smith um, while also still keeping our picks, um, some of our picks. And now we we were able to keep our picks for 2018 and now we've got uh, Donovan Sabrango and Isaac Langan as, as two second-round picks in our lineup this year that are hopefully going to fast-track that process of, you know, the next time that we're ready to try to go for it again. So as opposed to having no second-round picks left and, you know, playing this year without Isaac Langdon and Donovan Sabrango, who are going to be really good players in our league and not even having those guys moving forward for the next three or four years. So, um, you know, I think you've got to try to balance it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, you better have those picks. And, I, and we were talking earlier about, you know, how sometimes decisions are really unpopular. And I think, um, you know, we've we've gotten uh, a lot of people, I think a lot of, you know, Nick, Nick McHugh's a really uh, hardworking fan favorite type of player that gives us all every game and kind of embodies what a, a Ranger player is, I think, in, in the sense that his work ethic and speed and, and relentlessness um, and the way he plays kind of endears himself to our program and our fans and fan base. Um, but looking back a few years ago, you know, Mason Kahn was a guy like that and we loved Mason and we ended up moving him at the same time in his 19 year old year um, for a couple draft picks and we did the same thing that year with Jacob Kaskinet, who was a local kid and also probably a fan favorite because he was a local kid. Um, because we, we couldn't have those guys back as OAs and we were looking towards the future um, with a year in mind where we could stockpile enough picks, we might be able to use those um, in a year where we were going to go for it. So moves like that, that at the time may seem um, upsetting to some people or you know, like we've given up on this season uh, are sometimes necessary because it's those trades, the Mason Con trades and the Jacob Casconet trades are what allow you to go get Cole Sherwood when you need them. And it's it, it's what allowed us at the at the last day last year on trade, trade deadline to go out and get Giovanni Smith when we needed a, a Giovanni Smith in our lineup. So, you know, you've got to look at, 
I know it's a what what have you done for me now business and everyone likes to focus on the present, but that's there's sometimes when you've got to play the long game and look ahead to the future. And I think the con and Cascanet and I mean, you can even go back further to the, the Brent Peterson and the Justin Bailey and, and things like that, where, you know, we decided to move those players and the payoff was being able to add Logan Brown, Johnny Smith, Cole Sherwood, Logan Stanley, and all the the rest of the, the players we acquired last year when we needed those players. And they helped us almost uh, get close to reaching a OHL championship uh, round. So um, you've got to balance that. And, and, and sometimes I think that's hard to understand for people, but that's my job to make sure that we're doing that. Speaking of that job, while it may not have been as splashy as last season, I'm thinking about this season, and it's not as though you've been inactive. If we go back to the beginning with Giovanni Velotti traded to Oshawa and Justin McPherson brought in, then Cole Cameron arrives here in Kitchener. Jack York is traded away, and in comes Ryan Stepien. Uh, the acquisition of Joseph Rapoli just as the trade deadline approached a, a day ahead of that, and of course the aforementioned trade of Nick McHugh. I think I've got them all off the top of my head, but uh, is that the toughest part of the job, Mike, uh, trading and acquiring players? Or uh, would you describe the toughest as being in some of those cold rinks when you're on scouting trips? Yeah, I think it's tough in the sense where you never like to see kids go. I mean, when you're bringing guys in, it's exciting. Um, but when you're moving guys out, it, it never gets easier to kind of say goodbye to kids, especially if they've been here for a couple of years, you know, like guys like Jack York and Nick McHugh have. So, it's definitely a hard part of the job. Um, you know, is it the hardest? I don't know. It depends what day, what day you ask me. Probably, I'd have a different answer for you every day, <laughs> depending on uh, what what happened and transpired the the week or day before. So it's uh, just one of those things. It's um, sometimes you've got to do it, and it's uh, it's a lot more fun adding players to go for a run. Now, that's for sure. It, last year, there's a lot of a uh, a whole different feel to what we are doing. And uh, there's a lot of people applauding and and patting us on the back for for what we were able to do. And and this year it's a lot different where in a year where you're, you're, um, you know, a little lower in the standings and you're, you're moving guys out. Um, So, uh, you know, every year is different and we understand that, but uh, you know, it's never easy um, no matter what the situation is. So love it or lump it. There is the philosophy and a pretty, I think, open general manager of the Kitchener Rangers just telling you how it is from his perspective. Yeah, it's more fun to buy than sell if those are the words we want to use. But here's our philosophy as an organization. Here's what we did to evaluate the players we have and when we might extract maximum value from them. Look, you don't have to agree with the methodology. We don't know what really went into that research that the Rangers did, uh, what the criteria may have been, and you don't even have to agree with the approach. But uh, I think the general manager just told you pretty plainly why they did things the way they did at this year's trade deadline. Take it for what it is. I think it's – I wish – or I want to know. I don't think we'll ever find out. But I think Mike McKenzie leans pretty hard on – their statistician, I don't know his actual title, so I shouldn't say that, but Michael Zolt, yeah. their their analytics guru, if you will. He relies heavily on 
Michael Zolt to give him because McKenzie's more of the eye test, right? He he likes his numbers, but he's a former player. He played the game. He sees it with his eyes. So he looks at the data that Zolt has, and he compares them. What am I seeing with my eyes? What's my data showing me? Is it the same? No, completely different. Ooh, okay, what am I missing, or what, what is the data not showing me? So he's kind of both, uh, both sides of the coin, if you will. And I think he relies a lot on Zolt when it comes to stuff like that, where he talks about we did research on how we should evaluate. What, when can we get the most for these players? It'd be interesting to see what Zolt told him. All right, so from general manager Mike McKenzie in Kitchener, who did not make the push this year to a guy who did. And this one is really interesting, in my opinion. Dave Drinkle in Saginaw, you caught up with Poper when we were in Michigan for Rangers Spirit about a week ago. And among other things in this conversation Chris had with the general manager of the Saginaw Spirit, we get the anatomy of a three-way deal. It's really interesting stuff. How do these things come together? The three-way team trade that uh, saw you guys get Justin Murray and Ryan Stepien end up in Kitchener. I just want to ask, how does a trade like that with that many pieces come together? But you know what? That's kind of the forgotten trade in this whole thing. I know we just picked up Owen Tippett and Ryan McLeod the last few days, but Justin Murray was a, a major addition for our back end, and we've been very good since he's come here. But to answer your question, how the tra- trade kind of came to fruition, um, Kitchener had acquired about Ryan Stepien. Um, I needed a veteran defenseman. I had inquired Barry about a J- Justin Murray, and it kind of just, with Mike and Jason and I kind of all talking, and they kind of, Barry wanted York and Stepien, and we just kind of thought, hey, what pieces will make it work? And it's kind of rare that that happens, and everybody is satisfied with it but to me it was a good hockey trade and you don't see that very often is it one of those things where it's like a three-way phone call or are you calling him and then he's calling this guy or is there a text group or how does it work out no to be honest with you mike mckenzie and i were at the waterloo gold puck tournament together and we were talking about it and we had both been talking jason on the phone so um actually it was more mike said you know go get your deal worked out with barry um, for Justin Murray and Ryan Stepien was part of that deal and then when that deal was done I actually had to go to Ryan and it was tough because I had to go to Ryan and say listen you've been dealt to Barry but there's a good chance you're going to Kitchener um, if that doesn't happen Barry's happy to have you as well and so Ryan was okay with both deals and, and at the end of the day it worked out well for Ryan and he's doing well in Kitchener and we wish him the best he is doing well in Kitchener, but does it ever get easy telling a kid that he's been traded? No, it doesn't. Um, it, maybe when I first took over here, when I didn't know the kids and their families, and I and I hadn't drafted them and gotten to know them as people, um, I kind of fancy myself as a um, you know a players GM, a guy that they can lean on. And players have come to me with a lot of things over the years and and confidential conversations and things like that. And it's never easy, but it is part of the game. And at the end of the day, you want to make sure that if you are trading them, you're going you're trading them somewhere where you're comfortable. And for Ryan going to Kitchener, I was comfortable with Mike McKenzie and the way things are run there, so I knew it would work out for Ryan. Okay, so obviously the last couple hours here, obviously you mentioned McLeod and Tippett coming in. Those are two massive moves. Safe to say the chips are on the table for this team? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I told our local media here yesterday, they kind of asked what my thought was, and I said, we're not doing this to try to make the playoffs or win around. Like, we want to give our guys a chance to win the West Division and go from there. I know it's, you're never going to, nobody's going to hand you the championship. You really need to have a lot of things come into play, but I think you want to be in the fight, and I think by adding Ryan and Owen, we're in that fight now, and we have a lot of work to be done between now and then. But, um, you know, I think our team's an elite team, an elite skilled team. And to be honest with you, our players put me in that position. I challenged them early in the year. I said, if you guys want me to add, you make it so I have no choice. And to their credit, they did that and they deserved it. Seems like it's a bit of a buyer's market this year with a lot of big names maybe 
on the table. What was it about McLeod and Tippett that you felt suited Saginaw so well? Well, Ryan McLeod was the first guy that we went after. We thought we needed to add an elite game-breaking centerman with some size. Um, Ryan, and, I, and he's going to get tired of me saying this, but when I see him pick up the puck in open ice and he's playing against my team, my stomach actually kind of turns a little bit because I'm worried he's going to create offense, right? Um, and I sat there when we played Mississauga, and I'm like, that's the guy I want because I want that feeling when he's playing for us. Um, and we finally um, got everything finalized, and Ryan agreed to his trade. I said, Ryan, you're the first domino to follow. It'll be a lot easier for players to come here now knowing that Ryan McLeod is here. And sure enough, a couple of days later, we acquired the rights to Owen Tippett after he got back from the World Juniors. And to me, he's the best pure goal scorer in junior hockey in Canada. And, and he had no problem coming here because he sees that Ryan McLeod's here now. He sees what we're doing, and, and he's very, very excited to get started, and we're excited to have him. Something we were talking about on the bus, and I don't know if you can answer it or not, but why the separate deals? If two teams are working on something like that, why doesn't it just all go into one? To be honest with you, it came up separately. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was working uh, with J.R. James Richmond in, in Mississauga about Ryan McLeod for a long time, uh, well before um, the Christmas break, if you will. And and after we kind of got finalized on a deal, when, when Ryan was thinking everything over with his family, I kind of asked here, I'm like, you know what, if you're going to move Owen Tippett too, like I would have interest. And he said, well, now that we've moved um, Ryan, we might look into that. And then it happened very quickly after that. We, we had never discussed them together. Um, so it's funny how it just kind of worked out. This team is obviously, as you mentioned, now it's making a push for the West Division and now especially with these two. Are there expectations on the table or no? Yeah, I think there is. Like, uh, you know, I, I like that. I like to challenge the players. I think if you're not a player that feels challenged or a coach or GM that feels challenged, then you're you're not a, a gamer, if you will. You know, you want that. You want that pressure. And I think that elite people and elite players thrive in that pressure. And I know our guys will rise to the challenge. So there is expectations. I, I expect a lot out of this group. And they, more importantly, they expect a lot of themselves. And just lastly, obviously, with Kitchener in town, Troy Smith relieved of his duties a little while ago. Team uh, under Laz, who has some Waterloo connections as yeah. well, former Siskins coach, uh, has been fantastic. 11-2-1-1 under uh, Chris. What have you noticed about the team under Chris? I just think that he's allowing them to play a style of play that maybe we've not had here in the way that we've drafted skill, skill development, puck possession. We don't dump a lot of pucks in unless we're in trouble. I think that we're allowing the players to be themselves, and, and Chris has a way of... Um, being a player's coach but also being demanding at the same time he has a unique ability that I haven't seen in the coach before and he's done an unbelievable job and we're extremely happy with with the move that was made and the job he's done and I know the players are as well so he's done a very good job we're 11-2 1-1 like you said and we're looking forward to building on that it wasn't just trades though Mike that Dave Drinkle was all about in the last couple of months in Saginaw he was also about finding a new head coach that one came as a surprise too if you want to say that the Jason Robertson-Jacob Paquette trade back in November was a bit of, of a surprise, in part because of the price paid. I mean, even back then, what, 11 picks, two players, yeah. right? But Niagara went out and, you know, took a swing early and said, come get us. They said, we got our guy. We know who we want. We're going to get him. Do something about it. But Dave Drinkle's move when the team, sure, it, it got real hot after he made the change behind the bench, but... I don't think anybody, including the man who was switched out, saw it coming. They were 11, 9, 1, and 1 under head coach Troy Smith, former head coach here in Kitchener, and then he was relieved of his duties. Since then, well, when the Rangers went in there, they were 11, 2, 1, 
and one. And they haven't lost since. So I think lost. they're 13 to one and one. Could be 14 by this point. But because Troy Smith is such a good hockey mind and a good person, he has landed on his feet. Now the assistant coach out in Humboldt with the Humboldt Broncos. What a story that is on so many levels. Troy Smith, no stranger to this league. If there was still a franchise in Plymouth, I kid you not, Popper, revered there. Yep. Where he plied his trade as a junior. Then, of course, off to St. FX, back where? as an assistant. Yeah, exactly. You might hear that phrase or that school name referenced again in moments. Back to Kitchener as an assistant under Steve Spot and Pete DeBoer, who now still together work in the National Freaking Hockey League. And all of that pedigree, time in Hamilton, where he was an assistant general manager with the Bulldogs, all of that pedigree takes him, of all places, not just to Saskatchewan, but to Humboldt, a place that will forever be remembered for really tragic reasons. We find out from Troy what led to his trip to Humboldt. I can't believe you answered Farwell's text. <laughs> well, Mike's a good man. He, uh, he's done a lot for everybody there, so I know you're joking, but uh, <laughs> no, happy to be here. Happy to I, be wouldn't, here. I wouldn't say that if he wasn't standing right next <laughs> to me, so it's okay. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll start by saying, Smitty, how happy we are to see you back in the game. Uh, first and foremost, congratulations on first win in your first game behind the bench there in Humboldt. Way to be. Uh, thanks very much. I'm not sure how much I contributed. It was uh, when the puck dropped. It was the first time I'd ever seen an SJHL game, but uh, the level was pretty good, and it's always nice to get a win. How did this come about, Troy? Uh, it came about real quick. So obviously there was a, a change here. And then Scott Barney, who uh, people would know from the Peterborough Peets, uh, my vintage though, so mid to late 90s, um, he and I share a common friend named Mike Martone, who I played with at, uh, at the great University of St. Francis Xavier. And uh, he really just called me and said, you know, hey, I'm looking for somebody to be an assistant for the remainder of the season. Would you uh, would you consider coming down? So I, I thought about it. And, obviously consulted with some people I trust and uh, came to the decision to come out here and give it a shot. What went into that decision, Smitty? Uh, lots of different thoughts, obviously. You know what? I think, number one, I you know I, I wanted to get back, work, back working when you think about it selfishly. I was kind of tired of just sitting on the sidelines. And, you know, past that, I think it's an opportunity to, um, you know, have, have a different experience. I think it goes without saying that there's uh, a unique situation here with a lot of different emotions. And uh, I was excited to take on that challenge and, and try and help these kids who obviously deserve to have a, a great experience. And at the same time, you know, uh, have a great experience myself and, and build my resume through, uh, you know, a unique experience. You mentioned that unique experience out there in Humboldt and those emotions. What was it like when you first arrived? Uh, you know what? The, the people here are great. So, you know what? They obviously made me feel right at home. But when it comes to, um, you know, the, the tragedy, it's it's obviously uh, an emotional building. You know, there's there's lots of memories of the kids, as there should be, and, and the coaches and the, and the trainers that were all lost. But, um, you know, it, it's a special place to be right now, in my opinion, because, Really, I think everybody's just trying to uh, not not put it past anybody or not move on, but really celebrate, um, you know, the lives and the commitment that those people put forth to make Humboldt a better community and, and uh, you know, have a great season that everybody can really rally behind. 
Does that make it a rather unique situation for you, Troy, being there in Humboldt in of all seasons this season? And does it in any way change your approach with these players? Uh, 100%. You, you know, you'd be, I'd be lying through my teeth if I said it doesn't make it a, a, a different situation and, and completely unique. But, you know, as for my approach, nothing changes. You know what? Um, I'm taking a break here from cutting video that we're going to show tomorrow. And, you know, I know that myself and Scott Barney are doing everything we can to make sure these kids are prepared and help them, you know, move forward in their careers. Obviously, um, you know, on the exterior and, you know, maybe some conversations that maybe had privately, you know, down the road here with players or, or people in the community um, will change some things and maybe just different how I approach it. But at the end of the day, the thing I, I've really enjoyed is that every kid that we have on this team, um, including those that were on the team last year, all want to be coached, and, and that's refreshing for me. You mentioned that your first game there was the first game you saw in the SJ. How would you compare it to the OHL? Uh, you know, it, it's actually better better than I was anticipating. The reason why I say that is we have eight twenty year olds, so it's an older league. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit old fashioned where it's a lot more physical. It's definitely more physical. Obviously, you don't have the high high end talent that you would you know with nhl first round picks or you know high picks like that but i was actually pleasantly surprised at just how good it is and a lot of these kids i think go on and play you know either youth sports or ncaa at some level you talked about troy the uh people that you trust that you consulted before you made the final decision i would assume those might among those trusted sources might be steve spot pete tabor who i know you remain closely with did you talk to them yeah, of course they yeah. they go into every decision I make, and you know they were they were fully supportive. You know, Pete reference, uh, you know, because hey, it, it is a, a different league. It's obviously a league that's at a lower level, but you know, Pete referenced uh, Kevin Deneen, who coached the the women's team, and really at the end of the day, coaching is coaching, and it's not about uh, the level that you're at. It, it's all about people and and learning to coach people and manage people. And uh, you know, really, I was I was actually shocked that you know everybody. That not shocked, but I, I was surprised that everybody who I talked to thought it was a great idea and were right on board with my thinking that I should jump in head first and uh, and get to work with us. I know you've done uh, a lot of coaching in a lot of different areas through Hockey Canada and et cetera, uh, under seventeen team Ontario teams, things like that. But have you been to Saskatchewan before now? I have actually. I, I can never remember the name of the kid that uh, myself and Ray Hollowell we uh, we came out here. And we were scouting a kid that went fifth overall to Sudbury, but he was also playing with Slater Cuckoos. Funny enough, that's the player. I remember, we went out to watch them. They were playing at Notre Dame. We had about an eight-hour layover, or not layover, sorry, delay in Winnipeg Airport, and then flew up to Saskatoon and drove to this rink. And I remember when we checked in at the rink, a lady looked at us, oh, you guys aren't from here? We're like, no, but she was like, uh, welcome to the coldest rink in Saskatchewan. So that was my introduction to Saskatchewan, and I can tell you right now, things haven't changed. I'm, I'm indoors because it's minus 39 outside right now. Come on. <laughs> we're, we're up in Old Sound, and it's warmer here. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure Farwell's crying about the weather a little bit here, but um, he already you know me too well. I'm a little tougher than him. <laughs> You'll have to give us a... Uh, uh, a course on how to say the province's name when you come back. You know, in, in Ontario, we like to say Saskatchewan. I think it's Saskatchewan if you're from out there, but anyway. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. All I know <laughs> I is I, I didn't bring my Thai Cats hat, and that's probably a good choice. <laughs> very good choice. Very good choice. <laughs> Troy, kind of turning a corner here, obviously 
at, in the OHL and around the Rangers, it's trade talk time. And I wanted to ask you, from a guy that has been a coach in this league for multiple years, when when this time of year comes, how much discussion is there between a general manager and a head coach to decide what avenue a team wants to go down? I, I think every team you know discusses it a lot. At the end of the day, it's up to the general manager to make that decision. But you know the the man who's calling the shots behind the bench definitely needs to have his voice heard. And, you know what I think uh, the most constructive conversations produce the best results. And you know I'm sure you know with all 20 leagues, you know it, it's constant contact here between the coaches and the GMs right now. I was really looking forward to Troy's answer when it came to the discussion between the general manager and the head coach, because sometimes the head coach wants to win now. Sometimes the general manager is looking, how do we build this team for the future? In one instance, a team that we've talked about, there wasn't that conversation. And that was in Guelph. Because George Burnett is both the general manager and the head coach, so he does what he wants. Do you think he talks to himself? Hey, George. Knowing George, what do you no. think about this? <laughs> yeah, probably. Not. He just, he's quiet. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. That guy gets such a bad rap. He really does. He's a nice man. I have always enjoyed, always going back to PK Subban and the Belleville Bull days. I've always enjoyed my interactions and conversations with George Burnett. Do you want to know why you have? Please tell me. Because you have never gotten on his bad side. Maybe that's it. I did once. It was not fun. I hear the same thing from a former colleague of Terrified. mine. Greg Brady, who's the morning host with Brady and Price on Sportsnet 590, The Fan in Toronto. And Greg and I had a cup of coffee together in this wacky industry as well. And when I told him one day, because Greg used to call games for the Saginaw Spirit. Legend, by the way, in Saginaw. They still should have a statue to the guy as far as I'm concerned. I heard concerned. his name in the media room the other day. There you go. He, when I first mentioned to Greg that I was a big fan of George Burnett and we got along famously, he couldn't believe it. But same as you. And then what Brady had done was showed up late for a scheduled interview with George, and that was it. That was it. Don't do that. No, you do not. Is that what you did too? I showed up pulling back the curtains as a media member. We interview a player of the opposing team before the game. We have up until 90 minutes before puck drop to get our interviews done. At this point, it was 89 minutes. So it was a minute late. And the player was in a meeting for the last five. So I was there on time. I thought I had enough. I tried to squeeze my work in. I did not have enough time. Player came out of the meeting. I said, excuse me, player (laughs) X, do you mind if I grab you for a real quick two minutes? I'll be two minutes in and out. Mr. Burnett overheard that. He came over to me and he asked in a very stern but very direct way, what time is it? I informed him of the time, knowing very well that I was late. And he just informed me that that was not right and wondered why I was doing this inside the 90-minute time frame. And I apologized greatly and said, this is what happened. I will never do this again. I'm very sorry. I don't need to do it if I'm going to upset you. And he just said, it will never happen again, but talk to Nate. (laughs) (laughs) And Nate's probably sitting there going, thank God he's yelling at somebody else this time or using the stern voice. Oh, man, the eyes. He's just like, oh, I've been on the receiving end of those before. So do you like what George and George did? Yeah, why? At the trade deadline? (laughs) (laughs) Like George and George. I do. 
I absolutely love it. We, we talked about it earlier. If you are in a position to shoot your shot, you better shoot your shot. And what I think George Burnett identified was this is a weird year in the OHL because the London Knights were in a position to put everyone on notice. They could have went out, they could have, and they would have because they are London. They could have went out and got Suzuki. They could have got Frost. They could have got Robertson. They could have got everyone and just said, "Huh, that's what we do. Deal with it. But for the first time in recent memory, London screwed up. They only had one card at the deadline. They only had one player they could go get. And they went and got Kevin Hancock. That's a very good London team, first in the Western Conference. But how many times have we seen London in this position and load up with three or two or three, four maybe guys, and everyone go, ah, again? Not this year. So George identified that, that London made a mistake. London has made a mistake, and George said, you know what? When was the last time London made a mistake? I'm going for it. And I'm going for it big. And I don't, I, yeah, there's not a top-tier goalie available. So guess what? I'm going to construct the best defense in the league to give Anthony Popovich the best chance to succeed. And I'm also going to go get perhaps the best player in the league in Nick Suzuki. Oh, I'll grab a couple other players from Owen Sound because they suck to play against in the playoffs in recent memory. And I'll bring them to Guelph. Oh, World Junior, Mackenzie Entwistle, OHL champion. Why don't you come over too? The moves George Burnett has made, despite the 19 draft picks he's dealt, who cares? They win an OHL championship or go further than that, it's worth it. Banner raised is worth no matter, doesn't matter how many draft picks you trade. It's worth it. And I love what Guelph has done. On the flip side, we talked about it. I love that Niagara went out early, said, Jason Robertson's our guy. We're going and getting him. And everyone else can fall in line because we don't care. They're going to be in tough to get by Mikey DiPietro and that Ottawa 67's offense. Four top 15 point getters in this league in Ottawa with the goaltending they have. It's going to be very, very difficult to beat, especially if we see the Mikey DiPietro we saw in Windsor during that Memorial Cup run. The question is, does he have that chip on his shoulder still? Coming off the World Juniors, might be feeling a little down, might not have that will to win that we were talking about. Not a lot of guys on Niagara have won anything in this league. I think it's going to be the opposite with Di Pietro, knowing him as well as we've come to know him over the years. So as opposed to still sagging a little bit, I think that's actually advantage Ottawa. He didn't win the gold. He didn't win a medal at all. What does Mikey Di Pietro now want to do in his final junior days? Win a second Memorial Cup. Probably. Yeah. Motivation is there, I think. I think with a guy like Mikey, that motivation is always there, though. Probably. <laughs> and he, he just does. He just likes to win. So who are you going to take? Ottawa or Niag- Niagara? Niagara. Niagara, Niagara and yeah. Guelph. Guelph, yeah. And I'm sticking Ottawa and London. I don't, think- over, don't overlook, real quick, the Oshawa Generals. I'm sorry. I love the moves they made. I love them, too. But. What? But. The only question, they're stuck. They're straddling the line. They're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. They're in. Well, they're kind they of in. Need, are they? This is my thing. They're in enough. They're hoping that Brett Newman comes back next year and Brandon Sajan. Brett, That's Newman's, what they're Brett Newman's coming back next and year. And Brandon Sajan? I don't know about Sajan, but Brett Newman's Well, they're banking coming. on it. Yeah, well, there's no way and Newman's And if they do, not. look out. Wait, sure. But Newman alone is going to be a, a nice overage piece for your club next year. I agree. Anyway, I interrupted you. Well, if, they're, if their goalie's not back next year, they're in real trouble. Anyway, um... We talked about 
their goalie was at the World Juniors as well for Team K- or Kyle team, Kaiser, yeah, yeah. USA. Um, so too was Mikey DiPietro. So too. Before we get to this, okay, because it's a guy that has seen some thirty Ontario Hockey League trade deadlines, twenty eight, I think, almost, yeah. yeah. Uh, I got to get something off my chest. Okay. Oh, sorry, I forgot. That's okay, because and this is, I, I just got to get it off my chest because what has happened again, and we have documented. Sorry, just real quick. This for our listeners. This is what happens. We we decide we're going to do this podcast. We come in, we set up the lineup, and all Mike says to me is, "I got I got to get something off my chest about about this trade. I got to tell you what's going on. I got something to get it off my chest. I know you'll have an opinion." Mike's been thinking again, so hold on. Well, I have. <laughs> it's the curse of long bus trips. And anybody listening in Sault Ste. Marie, Sault Ste. Marie right now is saying, long? I'll give you a long bus trip. Anyway, here's the thing. So we have documented again the prices that are paid at the OHL trade deadline, the draft picks that are moved, the players that gets shipped from one team to another and then, of course, by extension from from one city to another and Mm -hmm. one school to another and so on and so forth. But once again, as this happens, the undercurrent of this is bad for the game, the CHL needs to fix this problem, I'd send my kid to the NCAA, etc., has begun once again to bubble to the surface. And I want to I want to tell anybody and I want to shout this from the rooftops. If you are of that mind, if you are sitting back now analyzing major junior hockey in this country, calling it a disgrace, saying you can't believe they're moving kids from one school to another in the middle of their school year, making them change families, this that and the other thing, shut your face stop it i believe i believe in my heart of hearts that this was begun primarily by damian cox he wrote a piece for the toronto star he's now freelancing and that's got people talking and i'm not sure if damian's being paid by the ncaa in some way or some form but it's clearly a pro ncaa i'd send my kids there anti chl piece which is fine but he's got some influence, Damien does, and he's got people talking. And real quick story about Damien. Let me tell you this. Back in the 2011 Memorial Cup in Mississauga, I happened to be covering that along with Damien Cox. I think back then he was still with the star. Either way, it was the intermission of one of the games, and I go from the viewing area the in, inside the bowl watching the game down to the media center. Now, if you've never been to a Memorial Cup, it's, it's pretty slick operation. They do a good job. And so you've got everything you want in the media center, not just some water and some pop and some coffee, but printers and computers and whatever it is you need. And I go wandering down there at the intermission, and there's Damien all sprawled out on the couch with his notes and his computer on a table, and he's just sitting there working. I'm like, dude, you know the game's like 100 yards back this way? Like the game is happening, and he's watching it on TV. I never once saw him leave that media center and go into the actual arena to watch with his own little eyes the hockey game. Anyway, that aside, stop with this talk, okay? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you, you Popper, you played the game at a much higher level than I ever did. What would you have given to make it to the next step? Forget this Junior Everything. C crap and the, the Junior B cup of coffee Everything. you had. 
right? Everything. You, to play in the Ontario Hockey League? Yeah, I practiced with them, and I thought I made the show. Exactly. The kids coming into this league would give their left arm to be in it, and then they get into it, and they know full well what they're signing up for. And yes, sometimes they get traded from one team to another. It happens, perhaps, when they're 17 years old, some of them even at 16 years of age. You know what? Kids move schools all the damn time. And the advantage that these players have when they move communities and they move schools is they go to a new community and they have 20 instant friends because they're joining another hockey team. So shut your face about this. It's not a disgrace. It's not a mockery. It's not abuse of young men. They know what they're getting into and they're treated very well from Owen Sound to London. I'm going to say smallest market to most lavish franchise. Stop it. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. You're welcome. Um, I will say this. The interesting part, and I've been a part of when I, I was buddies, really close buddies, with guys in high school when I was playing junior in Guelph, like Ryan Garlock, like Tyler Haskins that got traded out of Guelph that year they won it. And it sucks. Of course it sucks. It, I, tears in the classroom when they find out. They get text, I'm off to Mississauga, or I'm off to Windsor. Oh, man. What? And everyone knows, like, we're going for it. What do you mean you're, you're leaving? And then other players are like, well, if you're leaving, who are we getting? And then that kind of hurts the player because it's like, what's it matter who you're getting? And it's tough. But I will say about the Ontario Hockey League is each one of these teams has an education person within the high school these players go to. Moving schools isn't that big of a deal in the Ontario Hockey League. Don't think they, oh, what about their test scores? What about, oh, what about their, the, the exam that's coming up on Tuesday? They have to hand in an assignment. Yes, they are student-athletes. The schools make it work for them. Don't kid yourself when it comes to stuff like that. Education is important, but when a player is traded, that's where those education uh, consultants, if you will, help out. They talk between the schools. They say, okay, you're going to be going here. Here's your English class. This is what you have to do. Here's an... It's very simple. It, it really is when you're traded in this league. You've been traded. I'm going to drive you up there. We will grab your bags at a later date. They drive them up there. They pack a to-go bag, drops them off up in Mississauga. Nick McHugh gets dropped off in Mississauga. Or if Nick has a car, go pack your stuff. A team member then follows Nick McHugh to Mississauga behind in their separate car. They get there, make sure they're okay. Here's the, here's the education person. Here's the, the team general manager. They're, they got to bill it for you. It's pretty simple. On the big scheme of things, that is not the issue for me. They know it. Like you said, they, you know what you're getting yourself into in the Ontario Hockey League. Who cares? You, you think next year, Adam Askren was in this league last year. Let's go but Logan Brown. He was traded last year. He's now in pro hockey. Less than, three, less than 150 days later, he's now a pro. Do you think they care if they trade him? Nope. <laughs> they don't care at all. He's a, he's a chip they have on their table. So the sooner they get used to that and the sooner they understand it, the better. I th- the biggest thing for me around the trade deadline is all the collusion. Let's call a spade a spade. It's like, you helped me this year. Oh, who, who's going for it? Sure, we'll help them. 
that's the part that bothers me. It's it's more so just the league in itself. We don't see the kind of movement we see in the Ontario Hockey League in the West in the queue. And I think eventually it's got to stop. Like They're just building super teams year after year. Make the deadline like November or say you can only have a certain amount of trades a year or a certain amount of transactions because things are getting a little silly, aren't they? 19 picks. We see two teams move 19 picks. Guelph basically has half the Owen Sound attack. What happens in the early March when they go back to play Owen Sound? You got guys like Suzuki and Dursey that played four years there that are about to go back. And I'm guessing here, but put a whooping on their former franchise. It's dumb. Yeah, I get that for sure. But like we said earlier in this episode, I mean, listen, if it's your turn to go for it, just go for it. I hate it. Well, then do it early or then draft better. It's just well, maybe what no... you need to do then. It, maybe what you're saying, I would actually argue. Then let's move the trade deadline later, so that you don't have so long. We've got just under half a season left to play. There are teams right now. Owen Sound, I think, is still hanging around fourth place. Might be have slipped down to fifth, but they could finish seventh or eighth. Yeah. Like, there, there's trade deadline is where trade deadline is where it is though because of school, right? Yes. Yeah. So you can't move it later. I just think there needs, to to some, break. there needs to be some kind of restriction. You can only yeah. add like five other players that aren't on your team starting on September 20th or whatever it is. You can add five players, whether that be from your junior team, junior B, or whether that be from another OHL team or wherever. You get five players. That's it. You can add picks. Sure. But you can only add five players. All right. That's it. Interesting discussion. Interesting anyway. discussion. But it's good to get it, to clear the air on that. And I, maybe we'll come back to your idea uh, on a future episode, certainly as next year's trade deadline looms, because surely to goodness we're still going to be doing this thing. 100%. Yeah. So probably much the same conversation. You want to hit up our World Junior guest? Yeah, because we talked about Mackenzie Entwistle over at the World Juniors with Team Canada, Marcus Phillips, a couple of guys that were moved at the trade deadline, Mikey DiPietro, we've spent a lot of time talking about. They were all playing for Team Canada over at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Nick Suzuki would be another one that we would throw into the mix here. And we also had a chance to talk to a guy that wasn't skating on the ice, but played an integral role with Team Canada at the World Juniors this past Christmas. Not the first time he got the call from Hockey Canada. Dan Liebold, who is the equipment manager of the Kitchener Rangers, has been in the Ontario Hockey League now for some 28 seasons. I do believe he's up to. And we caught up with Danny, as we call him, as soon as he returned. In true Danny Liebold fashion, he came home on a Saturday night and drove himself to Windsor to meet the team before the game. What's it like in the immediate aftermath on that bench, on home soil in that tournament? Well, I think that, you know, everybody recognized how how important this was and the country was like if 17,000 of the country was right there and right near right behind you and and you could you know you're you go within a, under a minute it looks like you're going on to the semis and they're, they're ramped up and cheering and hooting and hollering to silence to to that and then um, of course you go in the room afterwards and there's a time of decompression where guys just need to <clears throat> need a little space but uh, if you, yeah, certainly would never video it but I have a, a mental image of of what it what it looked like and every one of those guys was basically in a weeping state like they were they were broke down and it was it was a tough <coughs> tough for them to realize that that this was over 
and we weren't moving on. Like all you have to, the quarterfinals are killers. Like if you get to the semis, at least you're playing two more games. Yeah. You know, you lose the quarters, you're done. So it's it was tough. So you could just see that, and even the coaches, I think they needed a little bit of time just to to figure out what they what they were going to say and you know say to the players, and and then uh, then it goes through all the planning of you know who's going where and when and you know all that. So it it was. It was tough. It was. It's tough to stand in there and, and watch that. And then, of course, it's everybody hugs it out, and um, you know, and then it, then you're gone. It, you know, it's I, it's a bit like a Memorial Cup when you, when you win, it, no matter win or lose, it's over. And when it's over, it's over in a hurry. Um, it's just not the way we wanted to leave Vancouver and Victoria. And they did such a great job of preparing everything. Again, Hockey Canada's first class and how they t- treat the staff, the players, their families. Uh, from Tom Rennie and um, the, all, all the way down through Bain Pettinger and, and through the coaches Tim and uh, you, they they treat you like royalty there and it was, it was and I think everybody felt a sense of letdown that we'd let people down in that. In fact, I I remember telling my brother, "I'm sorry, I let you down." And he said he, he didn't let anybody down, so it was just. Um, but you have that feeling because it's just that you knew how much how important this was to to that region and to the and to our country as well. Uh, you could tell um, walking through the airport yesterday. I saw hats and T-shirts, and I just it's, you know it still stings. It's still it's still pretty raw when you you hear things, and and it's hard to pick up a newspaper and read results. I quite honestly don't even know who won the tournament right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know who didn't win the tournament. That's probably what weighs heavily, more heavily. So, uh, but I think it was it's. For me personally, it was kind of I needed to get a, you know get the job done there and then get back. I just want to get back here to the club team and get going again. Echoing what you just said, I think we shot our shot. We should get out of here. <laughs> I think it's time. We're way over our time. Well, it, I, I've always wondered about that. And if anybody wants to uh, let us know the feedback, as you know, at underscore Chris Pope, at Farwell underscore OHL on Twitter, use the hashtag AskFNP. We had that beauty from uh, that question. I don't know if he was a buddy of yours. Was it Jason? Jamie. Jamie. Wondering no, how... No, sorry, Jason. Oh my gosh, his older brother's Jamie. My apologies. There Biggie. you go. I had a, Biggie, I had a feeling. My, I'm so sorry. But what a question he had. How does London get Kevin Hancock for a third rounder and Andrew Perrot when George Burnett has to pay six picks for Marcus Phillips? Same GM in all and sound says to George Burnett, yeah, you want Marcus Phillips? You give me six picks. Oh, oh, Mr. Hunter? Okay, Sure, uh, a third rounder sounds good for a guy that scored 31 goals this year and throw in Andrew Perrot. You know why? Please tell me. Because he, Marcus Phillips is back next year and he knew that George was going to come calling for three players and that he could get some more picks out of Mr. Burnett. I don't know. that You, you couldn't do any better than that on a 31-goal man? A third-round pick? Warm body's nice. We just saw Andrew Perrot play a Over pretty Ranger. nice game. Right? You get you get a warm body for an overager, you take it. You take it. Chodo, what'd he go for? Picks. I suppose. Yeah, you take it. Yeah. Okay. Good point by you. Good question by Jason. Hashtag ask F and P on Twitter as well. Jason. Not Jamie. Sorry, Biggie. Get it My right. Bad. Get it right, Pope. All right. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. This has been the Farwell and Pope Podcast. Posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Do. 
did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast at nbc sports Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.